0: Welcome back to our series through the Apostle Peter's first letter to the church, and let's get right into our text today, starting with chapter 1, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and we've arrived at verse 22, where he writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, thinking back to the first three sermons in this series, remember that Peter establishes the fact that God is the one who saves us that God is the one who keeps us saved and several other foundational works that God does himself. And then Peter rolls out the big idea of the whole book, which is that since God is holy, we should be holy. That's where we left off last time. So up to this point, a firm foundation has been placed the challenge of holiness has been laid down upon it. And one might wonder where Peter will go from there. What might be built upon the foundation of God's sovereignty followed by a challenge toward personal holiness? What's next? As we read moments ago, the answer is love. Peter moves from holiness to brotherly love. And see, we need to understand from this flow of ideas that this brotherly love is a holy kind of love. Why is it holy? Because this love is only possible in the household of faith, the church of Jesus Christ. Why is this holy kind of love only possible in the church? Because, as we will see, the only relationship through which this love can happen is the relationship of those who become brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We must remember that only the brotherly love of Jesus allows us to have brotherly love for each other. So yes, this is a passage about brotherly love, as Peter calls it. And I want to start by asking you, What do you think of when you read about brotherly love in the Bible? What exactly comes to mind? I'm guessing for many of you, your mind just went a little bit blank. And that's a problem. Let me tell you what you should be thinking of as a believer when you think about this kind of love. You should be thinking of the holy love Jesus Christ has for you, and also for the person sitting in front of you, next to you, behind you, all around you this morning. Why? Because this little thing we call church is a gathering of the brothers and sisters of Christ, which also means that we are brothers and sisters of each other. And what kind of brother is Jesus? He's the kind of brother who dies to give life to his family. Now, in Proverbs 18, we read about a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you've heard that before, wondered what it really means. The idea is that not all brothers are as close as some friends. That is to say that sometimes there can be even more value in a friend than a brother. This may have something to do with the fact that Holy love or pure love is not guaranteed even among those born from the same mother. This is sad but true. Earthly brothers may or may not be close. An earthly brother may or may not may not be a, a, a fellow believer. Your earthly brother may not have treated you well. He may even have done evil to you like the brothers of Joseph. And if that's the case, you may may well find a friend who sticks much closer. Jesus said the greatest love a man can have is to die for his friends, and then he did exactly that. For who? For those he now calls brethren. See, this is why it's vitally important to understand that in our text today, we are not talking about the love of earthly brothers and sisters when we talk about brotherly love the love of earthly brothers and sisters is not the standard of brotherly love in the church. Not at all. Even if you have wonderful earthly brothers and sisters, this brotherly love spoken of in our text is a love that reaches beyond all earthly loves, even into heaven's love, which is our standard for love and the best love that exists. Why is this brotherly love that we can have in the church so far beyond and so much better because this love is rooted in our brotherhood with Christ and in Him, our love is both pure and eternal. In short, this brotherly love we will talk about today is the holy love of Jesus. Now, by the way, comprehension of this kind of love will not be gained through any discussion of the three biblical Greek words for love, in case you're thinking about that. This love we're learning about is not a different kind of love simply because it is philadelphia rather than one of the other Greek words for love. Focusing on the word itself won't really help you understand it. No, in fact, you could name a city after philadelphia, And even if in some parallel universe, Philadelphia happened to actually be a city of brotherly love, neither the word nor the city would come close to communicating the brotherly love of Christ. See, this brotherly love of Christ is a different kind of love altogether, and there is no earthly parallel, because this love is rooted in the fact that since Christ is now our brother, God is now our Father. Somebody say, wow. Wow thank you. Let's see if Christ is your brother and he's my brother and God is our Father, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters of each other, yes, but more importantly, brothers and sisters within the holy family of God. But how do I know that this passage is about brotherhood with Christ and brotherhood with each other that is rooted in our brotherhood with Christ? Well, you need only to rewind to the previous three verses. You can either take my word for it or look for yourself and see that Peter has been talking about Christ and not just about him, but about the special relationship Christ has with those who, like him, were foreknown by God to have been washed in his blood through faith. See, today we're talking about a bloodline of faith, which we now share not only with each other, but with Christ. His is the brotherly love of which we speak today. Now at this point, I'd like to take a moment to explain some things about the reason for the masculine form of this word in our text. There are a couple of reasons we see in our text the word brotherly and not brotherly, and sisterly. First, as is still the case, for example, in Spanish, throughout the history of the English language, as well as the original language of the Bible, the masculine has always potentially included the feminine, depending on context. Of course, some are trying to change history for various reasons. They're trying to force us to adjust our verbiage for their own reasons. But it's a simple fact that historically, in our language and many others, the masculine can include the feminine. Now, not every masculine reference is inclusive, of course, which is generally obvious from the context. But in the case of our passage today, brotherly love certainly also means sisterly love in Christ. Just as the first chapter of the first book of the Bible says, God created man in his own image. And then it goes on to say that he created man to be both male and female. In the same way, the idea of brotherhood in Scripture also refers to sisterhood. Now, besides this, I think the more literal translations have stuck with brotherly love or love of the brethren instead of something more in keeping with modern practice. It's simply because Jesus is our brother, not our sister. And this brotherly love of which we speak is all about Him, Christ is a brother to all of us who know him, and his is the love being referred to in our text, which is why it is called brotherly love. As silly as it sounds, with things as they are today, I will go ahead and point out that Jesus Christ is a sister to no one. And so, his love is not sisterly. It's brotherly. So am I saying it is wrong to refer to brotherly and sisterly love in the church? No, not at all. Can I, in preaching, say that the brotherly love of Christ is both for his brothers and his sisters and to share between them? Absolutely. Biblically speaking, we're obviously talking about men and women when we talk about brotherly love. What I'm telling you, though is that I appreciate the translators keeping the word exactly as it was when it was written down by the inspired author. And one reason I think that's best is that this kind of love is mostly about the love of our mutual brother, Jesus Christ. Now let's begin to digest this amazing text from the Word of God, and I'll break it up into four points, two today, and two to be covered next time. So first of all, Peter is teaching us This is number one. Brothers and sisters in Christ must love one another purely. Remember, this all flows out of the passage about holiness. And then picking it up, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Remember what we learned all the way back in verse 3. God has caused us to be born again and He's done so through our faith. Here in verse 22 we learn that one of the primary things that means to be born again is that we now have a new family. Do you see the connection? We have our first birth family and our second birth family. How is it that we have this brotherly love for each other in the church. It is because we have been born a second time into the household of faith. Now let me ask a question. Which one is more important to you? Your first birth family or your second birth family? Which one is more important? I know, it's a terrible question, terrible question, absolutely terrible question, Pastor. What are you trying to do to us? You probably think, I'm trying to say that your second birth family should be more important than your first birth family, but don't presume that's what I would say. The truth is that I'm not entirely sure what the answer to that question should be right now during our time on this earth, but I'm aware that our first birth family is usually more important, right? That just seems to be normal. It's so normal and so universal that it would, it would just seem out of the question to suggest otherwise. I'd certainly have to admit, I would admit to you that my first birth family is most important to me. And I would say that that's true even if my mom and dad weren't in the room. While Jesus once made a point to ignore his earthly family, to emphasize his spiritual family, remember that scene? This is my mother and brothers right here. Whatever, if they're looking for me, I'm busy with this family, the spiritual family. Yeah, he made that point once, but also remember that his brother, his mother and his brothers and sisters were also there in the upper room at the end. It's probably one of those kind of both and situations. What I'm really trying to do is to get you to think. I don't want you to lower the importance of your first birth family at all. But I do believe that most or perhaps all of us need to elevate the importance of our second birth family, particularly since it is eternal. Assuming you agree, let me share a little bit about how we can do this. Amazingly, it's all right there in our text. Three ways we can love one another more purely in the church. First, By obedience to the truth. Peter says our souls are purified by obedience to the truth. And he says one point of that purity is for a sincere brotherly love. He goes on to challenge us to actually love each other from a pure heart. So how do we become obedient to the truth and get that pure heart from which to love each other? How do we love each other by obedience to the truth as brothers and sisters of Christ? I think we can take this in a couple of ways. First of all, this is yet another reference to salvation, to being born again, to being made holy on the inside by grace through faith in Christ. As believers, we have been obedient to the gospel by trusting in Jesus, and through this salvation, we can now have a sincere brotherly love. This is primarily what Peter means. And to that end, I would point out one very simple fact. If you have not truly been born again, you cannot practice or experience this kind of brotherly love. You won't have sincere brotherly love the love of Christ for their brethren, if he's not actually your brother. I do think it is important to realize in our church experiences that there will likely be those around us who are not truly brothers and sisters. And this is hard, but true. And if you read the letters to the churches in the Bible, you'll see that it has always been the case that we're going to have relational experiences in the church with people who do not really know Jesus. We must be careful not to lower our expectations for ourselves or for love within the church based on bad experiences with folks who may not have ever actually joined the family by faith. I think this is particularly important to understand in most American churches or in any church where persecution has not yet separated the wheat from the chaff. So, again, don't expect pure brotherly love from those who are not actually surrendered to Christ, even if they say they are. And to make it personal, don't expect to have this kind of love to give if you've not yet been grafted into the vine, if you've not been granted rebirth by the one who supplies this kind of love. Now, there's also a second way we can take this, centering on the word obedience, Even as born-again believers, when any of us are not obedient to God's truth, brotherly love suffers loss. And I think this comes underneath what Peter says because it's the same principle. We have pure love because we obeyed the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And we've surrendered to that truth. But what happens if we're not obedient to other truths from God? What happens when our lives don't line up with what we have believed? Well, our love for the brethren will lose some of its purity some of its sincerity, and it will not be what it could have been. Disobedience in the family hurts the entire family, particularly in the area of love. How many Old Testament stories show us this principle? Many. Have we not all seen love of the brethren grow cold because of disobedience? So it's basically this, brotherly love will not be pure or sincere between one who is a brother of Christ and one who is actually not. And also, brotherly love will not be pure when either party is walking in disobedience. The obvious solution in either case is to obey God's truth. Now, the second way Peter mentions that we can purify our love for one another is through earnest effort. Peter says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I hope you can see the effort called for in that command. And this is one spot where I do prefer my usual translation of choice, the NASB, where the translators chose the word fervently instead of earnestly, as it is here in the ESV. Either word works, but the context favors fervently, in my opinion. I'll spare you the entire word study, but it's helpful to notice that here Peter uses one of those other Greek words for love, agapo. He says, since you have, Philadelphia, fervently agapa-o one another. Two different words for love. But without spending much time on the words, what I want you to get is the effort involved, the intentionality, the sacrifice. And see, self-sacrifice is included in the word agapa-o. The idea of this command is to make every effort To love your brothers and sisters in a self-sacrificial way. Since you have a sibling relationship through Christ, love each other the way he has loved you by dying to yourself and living for them in various ways. Since you have brotherly love, Philadelphia, fervently and sacrificially, agapao, love each other. That's what Peter is saying. Now, Is that convicting for anybody else or is it just me? How are we doing with this? Remember my question earlier, which family is more important to you? You hated it. It was a bad question, but it's still going to stick with you, right? It's going to do something in your psyche. It's going to make you think. See, when we need to be self-sacrificing with our first birth family, it's kind of natural, isn't it? I mean, if it's a healthy family. If you need to give up something for somebody else in your family, in your earth family, you do it, right? I mean, it's natural. You give up your time as a mother. You give up your preference as a dad. You make sacrifices. Sacrifices for your first birth family. It's natural to do so. And see, there you have it. It's natural. Hear me say this. Your second birth family and love for your second birth family is not natural at all. No, your second birth family is spiritual. And that means nothing about it will be natural. Nothing will be automatic, but rather fervent effort will be required. So in terms of your second birth family, your spiritual family, is your heart pure or is it still settling for whatever is natural? Are you earnestly attempting to love your brothers and sisters at your own expense? Or is most of your love more self-serving than not? Did you think love in the church would be automatic? given enough time, I guess? No. Far from it. This is not automatic or natural at all. Naturally, I'd stay at home. Just the honest truth. I'd be fishing today if we're talking about what's natural. Okay? Let's keep it real. I'm not here because it's natural. I don't automatically love any of you schlubs. (laughs) All right? I naturally love my mom and dad and my wife and my kids. I do not naturally, automatically love most of you. Are you getting this? Most of us would have already bailed on each other by now. Let's get real. If we're not for God in the midst of our love, our love in the church will be spiritual and require sacrificial effort or it will likely not happen and it certainly will not endure. You know, sometimes as I'm preparing messages and therefore deep diving into a book of the Bible, a few macro truths will come out. What I mean is that God is, God will sort of reveal something uh, through his word that's going to stay with me, something bigger than the smaller section of verses that I'm studying something I maybe did not fully grasp before so let me tell you the first one of these to come to me through first peter and here it is what is automatic is of the flesh what is automatic is of the flesh Now, I won't completely unpack that today, and I'll probably add to it later, but I think this idea is being revealed as we study Peter's first letter to the church. Listen, we are not naturally spiritual. Even as believers, we're not automatically doing pure things in pure ways and for pure reasons. Not in this life. For today's point, let me say that natural love by itself is not pure love according to God. Why? Because we are not by nature pure. If our love for each other in the church is to be pure, it cannot be natural and it absolutely will not be automatic. Obedience is not natural while we live in these bodies. Even as born-again believers, and every single one of us knows that at our core. If we're honest, what is automatic is of the flesh. And the application is this, stop waiting around for brotherly love to develop naturally in the church. Peter says, be obedient and love each other fervently from a pure heart. See folks, we love to our own ends naturally. Naturally. We love those who are easy to love naturally. What is automatic, brothers and sisters, is to love those the most who love us the most. Jesus said even the heathens do that. But if we want to be obedient, to love from a born-again, purified heart, effort will be required, effort that is tied closely to Christ, the only one who makes our brotherly love brotherly in the first place. But let it be understood that we will only love purely in the church, through earnest or fervent effort. Thirdly, Peter says we can love purely when we do so in the Spirit. Where do I find this in the text? I find it in the phrase, since you have been born again. I would encourage you to start thinking about the Holy Spirit every time you hear the phrase or read in Scripture this idea of being born again. Why? Because Jesus invented this concept when he was talking to Nicodemus, a religious leader who thought he was already saved. And the larger point Jesus was making there in John chapter three is that we cannot truly be saved unless we're born first in the flesh or by water and second in the spirit or by God. The first birth is natural. The second is of the spirit. To be clear, spiritual rebirth happens at the moment of salvation, not at some later date. When you're truly saved, you receive the Spirit at that time. But to the point, we need to remember that in being born again, our spirits are resurrected to life by His Spirit. And we see here that part of the point of this rebirth is to be able to love each other with the spiritual love of God. Again, through our spiritual rebirth, we gain a new family. That of our second birth. And so what kind of family is it? It's a spiritual family. And how then must we love this family purely? Only in the Spirit. And not in our own spirits, but His. The only way you can love the brethren purely is through the Holy Spirit who lives in you and also in them. In fact, this is the only completely pure love on this earth. Because God is love. Only God is love. It doesn't come from anybody else, anywhere else. It all comes from God if it's pure. And only through His Spirit may we love each other purely. Did I mention this as a holy and special kind of love? More special than we've begun to understand. But that's a lot of time spent on point one. And so I need to move on to the second point from our text, which is this. Number two, brothers and sisters in Christ should remember they get to be together forever. (laughs) Peter says, love one another from a pure heart since you've been born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, I was a little bit tongue-in-cheek in saying that brotherly love means we get to be together forever, because honestly, sometimes we're not so sure we want to be together forever with at least some of our brothers and Christian brothers and sisters. And this helps identify the problem, right? I mean, what's wrong with this picture? that we might have such a thought. Go back to point one for what's wrong. Our love is not pure. It's selfish often, natural, unspiritual. But if our love for the brethren is pure, the fact that it goes on forever will be a very positive truth for us. I'm reminded of an old song at this point, and if you are near my age and have been a Christian since your teenage years, you likely know the song of which I speak, because it has already come into your mind. We sang this song at the end of youth camp every year. And we cried our eyes out because in one week we had made or thought we had made friends for life. And so on the final day of camp, we would sing what? Friends are friends forever by Michael W. Smith. Who remembers? All right. As the song goes... Friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never, because the welcome will not end. Oh, it's hard to let you go, but in the Father's hands we know. Anybody? That a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Right. And there's truth there. But I'll still be just fine to never hear that song again. <laughs> Ever. And you know why? Because songs are not like the Word of God. Songs have a shelf life. <laughs> Regardless, the point is that when love is flowing like it should in the church, you are going to find great comfort and motivation in the fact that you, your love for these very brothers and sisters in Christ is eternal. What this means is that every ounce of effort, every sacrificial moment, every act of kindness or prayer or encouragement or forgiveness applied toward growing in our love for each other as brethren will bear fruit eternally. I do believe that in heaven you will remember and build on the love that you had with actual individuals while you were down here. I think our love for each other right here in this room will matter. For eternity, when you find a way to make peace, when you work to get past the natural dislike you may have for someone and work that relation all the way around to love, when you lay aside selfishness and learn to love a person who's different from you in the household of faith, when you forgive, when you love anyway, that's going to matter forever. You will be glad you made it work, that you chose love for real people in real moments, and you'll be glad you love them here forever. Look back at the text, see the phrase, not of perishable seed. By the way, what's a seed do? It becomes, right? It's just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Not of perishable seed, but Imperishable. Do you remember from verse 4 in this letter that Peter has already used this word to refer to the difference between something like gold, which ultimately perishes, and your eternal inheritance in Christ, which is as imperishable as God is imperishable? Well, here we see that part of this imperishable inheritance is found in our relationships with each other as brothers and sisters on earth. Understand that what is imperishable will follow you into your heavenly existence. Based on our text today, this includes the love you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ, even the love that is right here in this very room. Now, the most studious among you are searching the text, and you may be thinking that it is actually the word of the Lord that is imperishable, and also it's our being born again through receiving that word that is imperishable, and you are correct. But notice what is a result of that imperishable word, an imperishable rebirth. The point of these verses and context is that one of the results of the imperishable seed is an imperishable love that is brotherly love, which is as imperishable as our salvation, because both are rooted in the word of the Lord, which is God's promise of eternal life. And so, in fact, Not only is the word of the Lord imperishable, but so is the love of the brethren of which we have been speaking. Listen, we're going to know each other and love each other in heaven, church family. I believe that. You'll know me and love me. I will know you and love you. This is important to understand for many reasons. But at this point in the history of our nearly six-year-old church plant, I want to show you one particular reason. This truth is important. As you know, I'm on the way out the door. I won't be around as often starting in January. This will be my last Christmas as your pastor. In other words, you'll have a new lead pastor come 2024. I realize that I just ripped the band-aid right off since I hadn't said much about this in a while. But we need to deal with reality today. And No, I'm not saying I'm going to disappear with the new calendar. I still plan on doing some preaching, helping to lead a little bit as founding pastor. I'll be around as much as needed. Fairly often, I'm sure. But the bottom line is, somebody else is going to be your pastor in just a few months from now. And I'll be phasing out. This isn't the first time I've explained the plan, but within the lesson of today's message, I'm verbalizing again the fact that my days as your leader are numbered. I mentioned in week one of this series that according to Eusebius, Peter planted the churches to whom he is writing this letter. But where is Peter as he writes? He's in Rome. Peter had moved on to other places in his mission for Christ, leaving these church plants in the hands of other shepherds for a long time now. And the distance from Rome to Asia Minor where these churches are might as well be the distance from Washington to Japan. In fact, it would be easier for us to get to Japan than it would have been for Peter to get back to modern-day Turkey where these churches had been planted. So Pastor Peter hasn't been around or preaching in these churches for a long time, but here he's talking about brotherly love. And yes, they loved him, of course. Probably led a lot of them to the Lord, helped a lot of them grow in Christ. But in this passage, is Peter talking about them loving him? No. He's talking about them loving each other. Let me tell you that a church full of people who love their pastor more than they love each other is a very weak church. If that's the case, they might just leave whenever he leaves. And he will leave, eventually. See, pastors have a calling, even more and different than everybody else has a calling, and that calling is to follow wherever Christ leads, to preach the gospel. And in this day and age, no less than in Peter's, many of us are needed to expand the kingdom of God by opening new churches. There are less churches today than there was yesterday. There were less churches yesterday than there were the day before. Did you know that in the Bible, the longest any pastor ever stayed in one particular church that we know of for sure was not even three years? See, back then, most pastors were church planters, and so they never stayed anywhere very long. I'm not saying this should always be the case for every pastor in our time, but I am saying that since this is what we see in the Bible, it has to at least be considered as possibly being the will of God for one pastor or another today to keep going Keep planting new churches. That had meant that Peter left these churches at some point in spite of his love for them and theirs for him. What was important was their love for each other. Beyond this, consider the brotherly love that Peter had known in his life previously. Was he ever again as close to anybody as he was to the other 11 disciples? He and they had spent three years on the road with the Son of God. Think about the things that they experienced. Think about how close they must have been. But did they all stay together? Did they hang on to each other? No, none of them did. They were sent out into the world. They had to say goodbye. They had to go. But I have another question. Did they ever see each other again? Yeah, they sure did. In fact, they've been back together now for a couple thousand years. So far, brothers in heaven, because they were brothers of Christ. And the same will be true of me and you. As long as we know the Lord by grace through faith. By the way, is everyone in heaven going to know everybody else the same way and have the same personal relationships with everybody and everybody just be the same? I don't think so. I really don't. I can't prove it, but I don't think so. I think everything that happens on earth will matter in heaven. Every person you love on earth, you'll have a special relationship with up there. Based on what? Why do I believe that? Well, I could talk about some general reasons I believe that, but what about this text right here that we just read a minute ago? What is this imperishable seed in our texts? See, I think I have an imperishable seed of love with the people in this room. Now, first and foremost, in the text, as I mentioned, it's the Word of God, and I'll say more about that next week, but better yet, what does this seed become? If you look at the context, part of what this seed becomes is brotherly love. And Peter's talking to real individuals in real churches who love each other, are being challenged to grow in that love, and he's saying, hey... However, you grow in that love, remember this it's imperishable. That means it lasts forever. You'll be taking these relationships with you, folks. Doesn't that make them worth investment and effort? And isn't it worth working things out with people who you you will know and love in heaven? Yes it is. Imperishable love is worth everything you've got. After all friends are friends forever with the Lord's, the Lord of them. And I think that's actually true. So yes. If the Lord tarries, and that's a big if, I will be leaving next year to plant another church. But even if I never were to come back and visit, and of course I will, but if I didn't, we'd have forever together to look forward to. And in heaven, I believe I'll remember all of your names, (laughs) even on a bad day. Now, I'll be making two more major points on this passage next time, so we're not finished covering this portion of our text, but I'm going to take a moment today here at the end to talk about the future of this church. So that was the end of the sermon, and now let me just talk with you for a minute. We're doing many things to get this church ready for the next chapter, and I want to be clear with you about all of it. I haven't said much since I announced these plans back in early April, so it's time to give you a report on how things are progressing. I want to share mostly about the plan for this church and a little bit about the plan for the church we're planting, Go Church East County. So first of all, let me talk about the plan here at Go Ridgefield. I do want to say that more than ever, I believe, in other words, it's my opinion, that God continues to affirm the idea. That Pastor Connor, who is currently your worship and discipleship pastor, would make a great lead pastor for you going forward. Now, for the record, as the founding pastor of this church, the one who started it, I do believe it is biblically appropriate for me to be involved in finding, or better yet, developing my replacement. This seems to have been the way it was done when churches were planted in Scripture. Paul and Barnabas ordained pastors to lead the churches they planted. Paul told Timothy and Titus to ordain pastors and some of the others. Having said that, let me also be clear that nobody's going to shove this down your throats. Why? Because that would be really, really stupid and not fair to you-know-who. I've simply shared what I think would be best, but here's the process. The current pastor-elder team will need to be unanimous about Connor. They will need to be prayerfully and unanimously convinced that he's the guy. I've not yet asked them for their decision on this, but I will be asking them soon. If they are unanimous that Connor is God's man to lead this church forward, then in our December business meeting, second Sunday in December, members... They will present their recommendation. At that time, the congregation will vote to affirm or deny that recommendation. I will also tell you that if the vote to affirm Connor is not a high percentage, I will advise him, and he knows this anyway, that he should not accept the position. Will that be the end of the world for Connor or for me? Absolutely not. God has a plan. And so to be clear, you really will be deciding if Connor is to be your lead pastor. Now, what if the vote to affirm him is not high enough and he decides not to accept? Well then, at that point, we would begin a search process for the new pastor. Your pastors and elder team would be responsible for holding things together until that new lead pastor is found, and they are very much capable of doing that. This process is all very clearly stated in our bylaws. But if there are any questions, please contact me. Happy to discuss. Secondly, under the heading of Leadership Development here at Go Ridgefield, I want to tell you about Bill Edens. Raise your hand, Bill. Wave at him. Your pastor-elder team has been evaluating Bill for some time, a long time. And recently, we officially vetted him, or as I like to say, grilled him. He still have the marks, grill marks. In order to see if he meets the biblical qualifications for an elder and also to see if he would be a good fit to be added to our pastor-elder team, we are enthusiastically unanimous that Bill Edens is, in fact, a perfect fit, and he is most definitely qualified. It's as if God brought both he and Vicky to go church for just such a time as this. Now, Bill has actually served as an elder previously in a sister church. However, they did not practice official ordination there, and we believe in doing so. Therefore, we will be ordaining Bill or setting him apart to God for this lifelong call to ministry on a Sunday, October 1st, as part of our worship service that morning. Assuming the Lord continues to... Amen. Amen. Feel that, feel that, feel that. Assuming the Lord continues to affirm this decision, we'll lay hands on Bill as the Bible directs, and he'll join the team of pastors who lead this church on that date. By the way, your current pastors, aka elders, are Connor, maybe I should use all their names, Connor Ford, uh, James Heberling, our youth pastor, Randy Adams, Bevan McWhorter, and me. Our plan is to add Bill to this team on October 1st and we couldn't be more excited to have him. The one caveat I will add is this. During the next month, if any member of this church has an issue with Bill being ordained as an elder or something you think we need to know, we will carefully consider anything you have to share. I'd be surprised if everyone were not supportive, but you have over a month to say so. If otherwise, you know how to reach me. By the way, Bill is going to preach next week. And I'm very much looking forward to getting to know him in that way. The bigger point in all of this is that as I'm phasing out, this church is being left in very good hands. We have always been led by a team of elders, and that will continue. Now, briefly, let me share a little bit about our new church plant. And my main goal here is to help you understand that what we're calling Go Church East County is your church plant. This whole thing is something Go Church Ridgefield is doing together. Churches plant churches. Churches multiply, or they don't. The sad fact is that most churches are not about expanding the kingdom as much as they are about expanding themselves. Now, if they're good churches, and of course, in expanding themselves, they're also expanding God's kingdom, though in a very limited way. The point, though, is that most churches have a very hard time sending out people to take new territory for Christ because, frankly, they've not understood that this is what God has called them to do. This church, however, has been led and coached from the very earliest time of prayer, when we were two other couples, and then when we were five couples, to be different. This, though, is where the rubber hits the road. Who are we going to be? Our path lies before us. I do want you to understand that multiplication means that some people will go with us. Similar to when one of our go groups multiplies, some of the folks have to go out to start a new group, and the original group is pained to see them go. But right away, both groups tend to find more people who come in and fill the gap. This is the power of multiplication. Both groups wind up growing, and that is how we expand the kingdom of God. When it comes to church planning, just as Paul took a team from Antioch, so we will take a team with us from this church, I hope, and we will stand before you on a Sunday in the future, and you will lay hands on us and send us out with your blessing. I, I believe your blessing And your joy. And yes, you will decrease by a few precious souls, even as you send us out to the work of expanding the kingdom of God and fulfilling the mission of Christ. How many? How many might go? Right now, I'd say, I'd guess less than 10. Out of about 200 people who call this church home. Why so few? Would you move to Oregon? That's what I thought. Uh, you know, this is why I'm not doing this in Battleground, okay? <laughs> right, so I wouldn't lose too much sleep about how many. But what if those 10 are people you don't want to lose? Right? I think you know how you should be. So please be in prayer that God will help this church have an attitude that he can bless. On the positive side, I want you to know that God has been blessing us down on the east side of the Portland metro Already, we are finding quite a few interested families and even neighbors who can help us start the new work. He's providing for this plant in so many ways. Already, we have about 25 folks committed, mostly from down there. And we have quite a few more that are very interested. And we have several more months before we even start weekly core team meetings. For contrast. Many of the other church plants I work with, I have some other hats that I wear. I work with lots of church plants, and some of them uh, are in Portland area. So just to take Portland as an example, since that's kind of where we're going, I'll just tell you that uh, almost every single one we're talking, like over 10 church plants, they don't have much more than 25 after five years. you know? Just so you know, God is like doing something. God's in this. He's all in. And of course, I'm excited. We had 34 people at our house Friday night that are interested. And not everybody could be there. See, I just want you to be excited with me. This church is our Antioch. Our sending church, and as such, will only be as healthy as you are and as supported as you choose to support us. I have very high hopes for what God is going to do both here and there, even through and even because of the growing pains of multiplication. In closing, let me try to help you a little bit with your faith. I really do feel like I can say with certainty, from what I've seen through a lot of experience, that Go Church Ridgefield has only just begun. Maybe you think it all depends on me, but one day you will see that was not the case. This church is stronger than you might think, and I believe that fact will come clear if you wait and see. Go Church Ridgefield will be the hub of a network of church plants that will surround and penetrate the city of Portland. Can you imagine being a part of such a thing? Can you imagine that your contributions to this church, both in terms of service and prayer and finances and everything else, could spawn a movement that might take serious ground in this region for Christ? How many souls will be transformed over the next three decades through what started right here with you? Listen and believe me when I tell you that if this church stays focused on the kingdom, God will bring the kingdom to this church. And I'll close with that once more. If this church stays focused on His kingdom, God will bring His kingdom to this church. I believe that with all my heart. I hope you come to believe it as well. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm not going to make light of the fact that this is hard. This path forward, this pulling off the Band-Aid a little bit today is hard. It's hard to hear. It's emotional. We have mixed feelings, I'm sure. But it really comes down to trust in you. You. Whose church is this? Who made this church what it is? Who has a dream for it to be more? You. The need is great. The opportunity is great. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's painful. We didn't know we were going to have 34 people when we just jumped off this cliff back in April. We didn't know if we'd have anybody. This church doesn't know what's in front of them. Will it go well? Will, it, will there be a challenging time? Will there be hard things? Will some people leave? What, what's going to happen? It, we, they don't know. And they have to walk it out by faith. So God, I know that's hard, and I pray for this church, for their faith to grow f- through this. And God, I ask you right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, that their faith would be made sight, that their faith would be blessed, that you will absolutely grow both churches so that we can celebrate together. And the next one. As we surround and penetrate Portland, one of the toughest cities to reach in this country. Are we going to get on board or not? I pray that this church, and I feel and believe that this church is going to follow you in this. And I ask that you reward that powerfully. In the future, you are good, and we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.